Do me a favor. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 10. 1 Samuel chapter 10. Um, so, I know I explain this every week, but we have new faces every week. And so I want to keep everybody in the loop. For those of you who are jumping back in after a while, um, or you're brand new, we're in a series right now called The Whole Story. And the way that works is we want to show you guys, I want to show you guys, that the Bible is not just a collection of different stories put together. The Bible is one giant story woven together to show how God pursues his sinful people who don't want him. And in the same way today, God pursues us. We don't want God. We don't want to be around God. We have our own lives, and it would be really nice if he would just kind of go over here. But God breaks into our lives and rescues us. And that's what the whole story is about. And that's what I want to continue to show you guys tonight. So 1 Samuel chapter 10. Now, last week, we talked about how Israel, God's people, they rejected him because they didn't want him as their king. Um, They wanted a human king, just like all the other nations did. And we do this all the time. We trade God. For other kings all the time. God God loved his people, but they didn't want him. In the exact same way that God loves you. We don't serve a God who is waiting in heaven for you to kind of figure it out. Like he's up here in the clouds and he's waiting for you to get it together so that you can come to him. We serve a God who came down to earth as a man named Jesus, but why did he come? He came so that you could see firsthand how much he loves you. If you want God to explain how much he loves you, look at Jesus. That's his way. That's his explanation. Here's how much I love you. Look at this. Look at Jesus' life. And understand that God is not only just not waiting up in heaven, he is moving towards you all the time, every day. He is moving towards you through conversations you have with other people. He is moving towards you in your drive to and from school or ride, for those of you who are a little younger. He is moving towards you when your heart is broken. Have you ever thought about that? He's moving towards you when your heart is broken and he's moving towards you when your heart is full. Every day, every moment, God is pursuing you. This is how he loves you. And this is how he loved Israel. But they didn't want him. Because remember, they said, give us a king so that we can be like all the other nations. We don't want to be your people. We want to be like all these other nations. And so God said, fine, I'll give you what you want. I'll give you a king and his name is Saul. Um, So God agrees to give them a king instead of God ruling over them. So the day has come. It's Saul's coronation ceremony. And coronation is just a big word for they put the crown, they pop it on your head. Okay. So the day has come. It's Saul's coronation ceremony. And like a man, now get here with me, like a man watching the woman that he loves marry someone else, God is watching his bride, his people, Israel, being given over to Saul instead. So 1 Samuel 10.17 is where we'll start. 1 Samuel 10.17. Thereafter, for Saul's coronation, Samuel called the people together to the Lord at a place called Mizpah. Now, remember, Samuel is not on board with this. Samuel does not want... um, Samuel the prophet, not trailer back there. I mean, Sam's not cool with it either. Right, Sam? 
Nuh-uh, right. So Samuel the prophet is not on board with this. He doesn't want God's people to leave God for another king, right? Um, And that's kind of my job today. My job is to get you guys to not leave God for other kings in this world. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But so Samuel decides on where he's going to crown Saul king. And he decides on this place called Mizpah. But why there? Why does this place matter? It matters because just a few chapters earlier, in 1 Samuel chapter 7, you don't have to turn there unless you want to, but in 1 Samuel chapter 7, the Israelites were at Mizpah before this, and they were under attack by the Philistines. If Philistine sounds familiar, Goliath, you know, the big dude, he, his nationality is a Philistine. Now, he's not around yet, but these are his people. And in 1 Samuel 7, 8, while they're surrounded by the Philistines, it says, The people of Israel cried out to Samuel, Do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, so that he can rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. So they're crying out to God at Mizpah all these years ago for God to rescue them from the Philistines. And then in verse 10 it says, So the Lord roared with a great thunder that day, and the Lord defeated the Philistines before Israel. So not an earthly king. God did this. Yahweh protected Israel at Mizpah years ago. And now Samuel's brought them back years later to Mizpah for Saul's coronation. Why? Um... Most of you guys probably don't know, I grew up in Calhoun. It's like 30 minutes down the road. I grew up in Calhoun, went to Ashworth Middle School, and my parents both taught and coached at Gordon Central High School. Um, My dad was basketball and taught English, and my mom was special education and coached softball and, wait for it, cheerleading, of all things. Um, And so since she helped out with the football cheerleading, we always had to go to the games. And I was like five years old at this point, okay? And so we were sitting in the section of the stands that's right next to where the band played, okay? And I'm like at the edge of the section, and I'm like five years old. And it's, it's either halftime, or I'm not really sure, and the band begins to play. And it scared me to death. Like I didn't, it was so loud and intense. And I'm, you know, I'm like five years old. So I really didn't understand what was happening. And so I was really freaked out. And so my dad kind of took me down the steps, off the stands, and over to the concession stand at Gordon Central. And he took me behind the concession stand, and it had rained the night before, and so there's all this, like, this big puddle kind of lining the wall behind Gordon Central's concession stand. And we were away from the noise, away from all the kind of confusion, and my dad and I literally, I still remember this, we literally just like threw rocks into this puddle for like 20 minutes just so he could be with me while I just kind of calmed down and got it back together. Um, and it sounds, you know, kind of lame or whatever, but that's a really, that's a really big time moment for me, big, um, for me and my dad. And so now, years later, um, my fiance Kristen, is from Calhoun. And so she comes back every weekend, or every other weekend now, and I go visit her. And we'll go, like, run errands or, like, go pick up dinner for her family or whatever, and we'll pass Gordon Central. And every time we pass the school, I think about that 20 minutes that I spent with my dad. And it's just become such a special place for me because it reminds me of when that happened. And here's why I tell you this, and here's why a place called Mizpah has anything to do with you. Um, We associate people with places, right? Like we link people with places. We pass certain places and we're reminded of certain people, special moments that we had with them in these places. 
And that's what Samuel's doing by bringing the people of Israel back to Mizpah. They know where they are. They know what happened to them years ago. He's bringing them back to kind of their concession stand. Um, That place, that sketchy concession stand at Gordon Central is special to me because it reminds me of my father's love for me. And Mizpah is a place that reminds Israel of their father's love for them. By bringing them back to Mizpah, Samuel is making this this last ditch effort to say, don't do this. Don't make someone else your king. Remember what God did for you here years ago. And Samuel keeps going. Look at verses 18 and 19. 18 and 19. And Samuel said to the sons of Israel, The Lord says this, I brought you, I brought you out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians, and from the power of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But you today have rejected me, your God, who delivers you from all your calamities and all your distresses. Yet you have said, no, set a king over us. Now therefore, present yourself before me, the Lord, by your tribes and by your clans. So as you ca- at the very beginning, Samuel says, the Lord says this. Thus says the Lord. Samuel is saying, before I tell you, Who's going to be your king? Before I tell you who's going to replace God in your life, God has something that he needs to say. And God says to his people, I freed you from Israel. I heard your cries to me in the desert. I gave you the promised land. I loved you. I protected you. And now you're going to do this. And look back at verse 19. Look kind of towards the end of 19. It says, you said, set a king over us. Therefore, present yourself before me by your tribes, and by your clans. Present yourself to me, the Lord, or show yourself to the Lord. God is saying, look me in the eye when you do this. Show yourself to me when you're going to do this. Look me in the face when you do this to me. So look at God's heart while all this is going down. Look at how raw he is, how hurt he is. They are about to leave him. And up to the very last minute, God is calling out to them, Don't do this. I brought you out of Egypt. Look me in the face. Do not do this. God is still very much in love with Israel, even though they're doing all these things. And I I wish I could kind of take it out of my head and put it in yours so that you could begin to understand how much God loves you, even in spite of the things that you do and in spite of the things that I do. I mean, look at Israel. He's the God of the universe. He invented music. He invented the ocean. Krispy Kreme, right? All these different things. We don't know that it was there, prehistoric heaven, I don't know. But So he's done all these things, and he's freed them from slavery, and they're going to leave. Choose a different king? They don't deserve anything from him. And neither do we, because we trade him every day for other kings. We trade him for what other people think. We trade him for materials. We trade him for a good time in the basement with the person that we're dating. We trade him to look at different things on social media that we're not prepared to understand. We trade him for these things. Understand, God doesn't just say, okay, fine, you've selected another king. That's fine. God says, by selecting another king, you have rejected me. There is no middle ground. When you sin, when you do something you're not supposed to do, it's not just like God is here and you're over here and it's cool. 
When you choose to sin, you are making something else your king and you are rejecting God for it. And yet God still continues to draw you in. Not only does God not leave you, He still draws you. He draws you to His church. He draws you to His Bible. He draws you to Himself. Guys, there is no better king to give your life to. Also notice, this is Saul's coronation day. The ceremony is about to begin. This is not the time for God to say these things. The decision has been made. So let us just kind of have this nice, neat ceremony, God, and get out of our lives, please. Listen to what this book says about this moment. Israel's God may love us too much to be nice. His word may chase us relentlessly until we hear it. He may even ruin a nice occasion if it will get your attention and lead you to repentance. Um, this, is the, this is the thing. This is the issue. Um, please see that even in your sin, even in the bad things that you do, God still loves you so much that not only does He not turn His back on you, He doesn't even just stand there and wait for you. He goes to get you. He goes to win you back. That's why he sent Jesus. He's still chasing Israel, even though they've rejected him, and they're literally having the ceremony, cheering on the guy that's going to take his place. It's not just people being nice that's gotten you here. It's not just your parents that have brought you here. It's God bringing you here. Wake up. He is chasing after you. The biggest tragedy in your life is not going to be something that happens to you. The biggest tragedy in your life is if you stay too blind to see that God is chasing you. The biggest tragedy in your life is not going to be if something bad happens to you. Bad things happen to people all the time. The biggest tragedy in your life is going to be if you remain so blind that you do not understand that God is chasing you. Look at me. You're not here because you drove here. You're not here because someone brought you here. You're here because God has made you come here. He is wooing you. He is drawing you out. You could be anywhere else tonight, but you're here listening to a sermon about how God does not give up on you, hearing music about how God does not give up on you. I'm asking you, and I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will begin to open your eyes. God says to Israel, and God says to you, look me in the eye. I am your king. Look up and see me that I am your king. This also shows us, by by busting up Saul's ceremony, This also shows us that God, just like he broke up this nice little ceremony to get Israel's attention, he will break up your nice little life to get yours. Just like God broke up Israel's nice little ceremony to get their attention, God will break up your life to get yours. He loves you too much to be nice to you. He loves you too much to leave you in your nice little Rome life. 
He will break in to your life. Um, and here's why I say this. And you say, well, what does that look like? How's that going to happen? Is it literally like, like a baseball bat? Like he's going to like knock and he's just going to bust in? Is that going to happen? What's this going to look like? Is he going to ask permission? Does he call ahead? What does he do? Here, here's what this looks like. Some of you guys, at, at such a young age, already have wounds that are not getting better. Um, maybe they're scars from a breakup. Or maybe some of you are like, again, not my problem, Ryan. I'm single. Thank you for bringing that up, though. Thanks for the reminder there. Maybe it's this constant dull pain from singleness that doesn't seem to be getting any better. Maybe it's family issues that you talk about or maybe you don't talk about. Maybe a family member or you have a sickness or or something with you that doesn't seem to get better. Or maybe it's nothing that dramatic. Like, bring it down, right? Like, maybe it's nothing that dramatic. And it's just this dull sense of tiredness that doesn't seem to be going anywhere. And you say, this is ruining my life. This is slowing me down. Why is this not getting any better? And I'm telling you, that is God breaking into your life. That is God loving on you. He is breaking into your life. He is making you real, drawing you towards Him in your pain. He's using your pain to draw you towards Him. Our pain, the pain that you go through, the pain that this world cannot fix, is God lifting your head, lifting your chin up, So that you can see him. He's saying to you through your pain that won't get better. He's saying see you can't find all the answers out here. You've been looking in the world and all its kings to make you better. And it's not working. I'm the real one that you're looking for. This pain you feel is God pulling you towards your Bible pulling you to prayer, pulling you to Him. And I know that there's like sixth graders in here, no disrespect, that it's like, like none of this is making any sense. It will come. And for you who are older, please understand that I say this almost every week, they're watching. They're watching how you handle pain. And I'm not trying to like, you're already stressed out enough. Here's another one to pop on here. I'm not saying it to give you stress. I'm saying begin to understand That your pain, older students, high schoolers especially, is the Lord drawing you closer to Him. And if you can begin to lean into that, what a testament it will be to the students who come after you. And I'm telling you, the Lord is leaning into you in your pain, drawing you closer to Him. So Saul, the people's choice, is made king. And like worshiping all earthly things, it leads to complete disaster. One blunder after another. Saul will not listen to God. And finally, God has had enough of this earthly king. Flip over to 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15, verses 10 and 11. 1 Samuel 15, verses 10 and 11. Here we go. So again, the Lord has had enough of Saul. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned his back on following me and has not carried out my commands. And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. Now look over at verse 23. Verse 23. Samuel goes to Saul and they have 
this big blowout. For rebellion is the sin of divination and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Here we go, second half of 23. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, Saul, he has also rejected you from being king. So the Lord has turned his back on Saul as king. And Samuel and Saul, the two most important people in the kingdom of Israel, have a falling out. The king of the country has rejected God, rebelled against him. And Samuel, who is the prophet of God, so Samuel is the voice of God, has left the palace. So this means that the voice of God has been cut off from the king. Other countries are are going to get wind of this, of the collapse in Israel. Remember, God punishes Israel when they don't obey by bringing in other nations to take over. Israel is on the verge of collapse because of their broken king. This is what will happen in your life if you try to let other things rule your life instead of God. If you think, just a couple of examples of how this will lead to disaster. If you think that being cool should be your king, you will spend your whole life trying to impress other people. Over time, you stop becoming, you stop being a person because your heart breaks into all these different pieces trying to impress different people. You act this way around this group. You act this way around this group, this way around this group, and pretty soon you've just become this cycle of different people and you've lost your identity as a person. Disaster from following this king. Here we go. If your king is dating, if your king is relationships, which we're going to talk about in February, but if your king is dating, you will always feel incomplete if you don't have someone see this all the time in high school. You ping pong from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship because you can't sit by yourself. You can't do it. And so this begins to damage your life and other people's lives around you. Even if singleness is where God has you right now, you can't deal with it. And here's the issue when you worship dating because when you worship dating... When a breakup comes, breakups are hard enough already, right? Amen? Okay? Breakups are hard enough as it is. But if you worship dating, breakups will hurt doubly as bad because when that breakup happens, your, your person hasn't just left you, your king has died. Does that make sense? Breaking up is your God dying if you worship dating. Earthly kings only bring disappointment. They only bring frustration, and ultimately, they only bring brokenness. But God brings hope. Look at 1 Samuel 16. 16.1. So this is after Saul and Samuel have this giant falling out. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you weep over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided a king for myself among his sons. So look at what God says here. I have selected, I have, that word means to provide. I have provided a new king. God, as he always does, has provided hope 
in a terrible situation. This is the thing about God, okay? Here we go. Whatever situation you're in, whenever your world gets turned upside down, whenever you feel like all worldly hope is lost, you have more hope than you can possibly imagine if God is with you in that darkness. For so many of us, our hope is that, like if you're sick, your hope is that the sickness will heal. Or if it's a bad breakup, your hope is in the fact that maybe the relationship will get back together. Or if you're applying for schools, your hope is that once you've gotten that rejection letter, that the college will email you back and accept you. But what happens if that doesn't happen? What happens if the sickness doesn't only not just get better, it gets worse? What happens if you never get back together with this person? What happens if you really do never hear back from this college? Israel has no hope. Their king is broken. Their prophet has left. There's no worldly hope left for them. And this is what happens in your life sometimes. This is what has to happen in your life. Why does it have to happen? So that you can see God. We worship the kings of this world so much we don't even realize that we're doing it. I don't even realize that I'm doing it. We put all our hope in the world. Don't give Saul too big of a hard time uh, because we're broken just like he is. So God, in love, will take away our worldly hopes so that all that we have left is him. He'll He can take the relationship away. He can take the scholarship away. He'll move you out of our mercy. Or for some of you, he'll keep you in our mercy. And you just go postal on him for doing this. How dare you do this to me, God? Why would you do this to me? And our anger in that time, your anger shows that he hasn't just taken away a relationship or a scholarship. That anger, the fact that you went berserk, shows that he didn't just take that away. He took away your hope. Your hope was in this thing. That's why you're freaking out so bad. He's saying to you, in your pain, he's lifting up your head to say, Look, you were worshiping this king, not me. All earthly kings eventually lead to disaster like Saul did. God is the only king who can bring hope. Begin to work this into your soul. Begin to spend time in 1 Samuel. And we'll look at God's chosen king, David, uh, in two weeks. So let's pray together.